Welcome to the Mission Cleveland weekly podcast, encouragement and hope in a despairing world. So if you're new to the Anglican context, you, you, may, you may already know this, but you may not know this, that um, over the course of three years... In our lectionary, which is a list of uh, readings for a three-year cycle, we, if we read all those readings, we would read through the entire Bible over the course of three years. And so uh, this is year A, it's the first year, so we're kind of getting back into some of that rhythm. And the majority of time that we preach here, we are using the lectionary. And so um, the preaching team, we're not choosing the, the, the scriptures, they kind of choose us. And it's interesting because over the last couple of weeks, I feel like we've had these really challenging words from Jesus. We had the Canaanite woman a couple of weeks ago, and and this week we have Jesus' words to Peter, which I just feel like is just a hard word. And I think when we get into these challenging words, sometimes it reveals, I think, a difficulty of how we've learned to read and study. We sit down and read and study. We've been trained to read something like this. We sit down, and our intent is to have some kind of mastery over the text, in this case, the Bible. We seek to understand it, and and we do this by searching for ways to master the material and to learn it. And, And sometimes this means, I think, that we try to get the biblical text to fit into our categories, categories we already have. So we asked, like, well, what does this mean to me? And I think that's actually a really good question. It, it, it's an important question. It's a question about the significance of the Bible for our lives. But if we're not careful in our reading of Scripture, what we can end up doing is forcing our agendas on the Bible. We have to be careful about that. In other words, we can approach the Bible as readers who are always in control and it's when, we, when we're reading the Bible that way, it's really hard for us to read the Bible for spiritual formation. It becomes really challenging for us to read it as a spiritual formative work. Um, in the Anglican context, we have a collect. A collect is a prayer. And um, one of our prayers invites us to read the Bible this way. Here's the prayer. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning... Grant us to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. As Anglicans, we say the Bible is to be inwardly digested, inwardly digested. More than anything else, when we sit down with the Bible, we're called to listen to be open. That's why we, we practice things like Lectio Divina. It's so important for spiritual formation because when we practice the spiritual disciplines, what's happening is it helps us get out of that mindset where we're in control. We're not in control of the Bible. Oftentimes when we come to the Bible, like it will shock us. The Bible will redirect us. It'll surprise us. It'll sometimes convince us 
that the way we thought we should be living or, or the things we thought we should be doing, like we, we really shouldn't be doing those things. We need to be redirected. And that's especially true when we come across these hard sayings of Jesus. In Matthew 16, 23, we get this really challenging word from Jesus to Peter where Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That just like strike you as like an odd thing for Jesus to say. It's especially odd in this chapter in Matthew 16 because just before, just in the same chapter, Peter had confessed Jesus as the Messiah and Jesus had responded with these words, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that was just a few verses ago. <laughs> How do we get from there to here where now Peter is being called Satan? <laughs> What's going on here? There, there's a shift here in Matthew 16, verse 21. That's the first verse we read in the gospel reading tonight. Matthew's words are, are these, from that time on. There's a shift in, in the Bible and the biblical passage. There's a shift. Peter declared Jesus as the Messiah, and now Jesus is beginning to bring the disciples closer into what Messiahship actually means, what it entails. Jesus is expanding the idea of Messiah. And Peter's merely, I think, just a spokesperson for any of us that would have been standing there when Jesus started to predict that he was going to suffer and die. I think Peter would do, we would do probably the same thing. No way, that can't happen. This can't be true. To really understand what's going on here, we have to catch kind of the first century Jewish mindset around Messiah. So we go back and just visit that, that idea a little bit here. That in, in the first century Jewish mind, the Messiah was understood as, as a warrior king. The Messiah was someone who was going to bring all the tribes of Israel back together. The Messiah was someone who was going to restore the temple. And so we can see how any notion of a suffering Messiah doesn't really seem to fit in that category. I think the question that Peter's probably asking is something like this. Like, how does a suffering Messiah do that? How does a dead Messiah bring all the tribes of Israel back together? How does a dead Messiah restore the temple? That's probably something like what Peter is asking at this point. I mean, you know, this is the very, really the very first time that Jesus is disclosing explicitly that he's going to suffer and die. Sure, we have like the... the Old Testament prophetic literature that talks about the suffering servant. And it's even been alluded to in Matthew already, but this is the first time it's explicitly stated by Jesus. For Peter and probably everyone else around him, it was just too much to hear, too much to hear. And so when Jesus begins to say that he must suffer and die, and Peter rebukes Jesus, saying that's impossible. What actually is happening here is that Peter's saying some kind of Greek idiom that would literally be translated something like, God have favor on you, Jesus. May this never happen. God have favor on you. And what we're seeing here isn't just some blind spot of Peter. It's not like Peter just didn't see it. Like It was a completely new reorientation around what redemption meant. 
It wasn't just a blind spot. You know, the hardest thing about this for us, I think, is isn't just that Peter's so convinced that he was right. I mean, Jesus isn't rebuking Peter because he was rude. But the hardest thing, the hard word, the correction that Peter's getting here, the part of the story that hits us in the heart is that Peter was so committed to a pathway of hope that was exact opposite of what Jesus was doing. It wasn't in line with the kingdom, the movement of God's kingdom in the world. It wasn't what Jesus was doing. Peter, who had just been named the rock, Petra, Peter the rock, was now identified as a stumbling block. In Greek, that word is scandalon. Can you hear that scandal? Scandalon. He's now a stumbling block, an offense, a cause for stumbling. It was too much for Peter to hear because he hadn't been formed in the idea of Messiah, the suffering Messiah. He hadn't been formed in in the reality that the contours of Christian hope included not only resurrection, but also suffering and death. Jesus knew there's no redemption without the cross. And so when Jesus begins to explicitly disclose what's about to happen, he says, it is necessary. It must happen. It's necessary that I go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be put to death, and then be raised to life. For Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed Savior of the world, the only pathway to restoration and redemption includes his suffering and death. Sacrifice is necessary. Doesn't it make sense that Peter would resist that? I can relate to Peter here. And friends, the thought of sacrifice, it's not just too much for Peter. It's it's actually too much for us, too, if we haven't been formed in that way, to understand that the Christian life has much to do about sacrifice. Here's the new framework Peter's being invited into. Maybe, Maybe we are, too. For any follower of Jesus, sacrifice, sacrifice is our common vocation. This weekend, um, I'm always looking for like a sermon illustration, especially the weeks that I'm preaching, and I'm like, I just don't know how to illustrate this. And then, by God's grace, we were in Walmart parking lot, (laughs) which I think is the most dangerous place in America, actually. Um, But, and we see this guy, he's like kind of just getting out. It's a four-way stop, and he just gets out a little bit too far, and then it just happens. Everyone starts beeping. They're, they're like, fighting with each other. There's even a guy, like, in a pickup truck that, like, puts it in reverse to make his point, you know, and I'm like, what is happening here, you know? This is crazy. And the irony of all that is, like, they were all already in the parking lot. Like, they're not driving down the highway. Like, nobody's going more than five miles an hour. Like, it's like they're already there, It's so hard. It's like, it's just, to me, it was an image of like how hard it is for us to yield. It's so hard for us to yield. It's challenging. But when we start to see kind of this this life of sacrifice, our vocation of sacrifice, we'll begin to see that our lives are, are so full of these small deaths that we're being invited into. Small ways of, of offering ourselves over to the kingdom of God small ways of denying ourselves. It's not about me. 
we spend so much time, we spend so much time thinking about what's God calling me to do? Where's God calling me to go? Henry Nouwen described the search for calling in his own life as some, sometimes having these kind of two inner voices. And one of those voices goes something like this. I've got to do something remarkable. I've got to do something huge. I've got to make it my own. I've got to do something that makes my parents proud. I've got to do something that makes God proud. The second, I think, more intimate, more accurate voice now describes with these words. Whatever you're going to do, even if you don't do anything interesting in the eyes of the world, be sure to stay close to the heart of Jesus. Amen. Be sure you stay close to the love of God. That's our common vocation, our common calling as followers of Jesus. How do we align our hearts with the heart of Jesus? How do we stay close to the love of God? What's happening here in Matthew 16 is that Jesus is introducing us to the common calling, the common vocation, the vocation of sacrifice. Jesus says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Eugene Peterson put it this way, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I will show you how. I just want to talk about one characteristic of the vocation of sacrifice. One characteristic. I want to say that it's positional. Characteristic of a life of vocation and sacrifice is that it is necessarily positional. What do I mean by that? It involves following Jesus, getting behind Jesus, not in front of him. The image that we, we have in, in the gospel is that, that Peter pulls Jesus aside. It comes to us with a lot of force. I mean, we should imagine Peter grabbing Jesus by the garment and pulling him with force out of the way. Peter was absolutely convinced that his way was the right way. He pulls Jesus aside with force. But when Peter rebuked Jesus, he was working with an incomplete vision of the kingdom of God. Here's the hard thing, I think, at least it's hard for me. Peter's love was defective. His love was incomplete. It was defective. Can we just acknowledge that that happens sometimes? Sometimes we can have like a really strong affection and, and love and, and, and passion for something, and we can still be wrong. We can still have the wrong movements. If our affection isn't aligned with the mind of God, then our energy will be devoted to pulling Jesus aside instead of following him. Peter needed Jesus' redirection. Sometimes we need Jesus' redirection too. Sometimes we need the hard word from Jesus. And there's a, there's a design. 
when we recognize that God is fully capable of designing and structuring our life in the best way possible, there is a design. And here's the design we get in our passage tonight. Here's the design. The cross must always be before us. The cross is always before us. It's our vocation of sacrifice. We live a cruciform life. And as we follow Jesus, we are enamored by the way that he suffers for us. It's beautiful. It's life-changing. He took our sins down. He gave us freedom and resurrection. We're enamored by that. But we're also called to live a life of sacrifice too. Tonight I'm wearing this pectoral cross and it has... It is a crucifix, and sometimes you'll see that at our church. You'll see pastors wearing a crucifix. This is the cross of San Damiano. And I've been asked before, well, you know, why do you keep Jesus on the cross, you know? Why do you keep Jesus on the cross? And and I say, well, this isn't us. This isn't an Anglican keeping Jesus on the cross. This is my best attempt to be reminded of the crucified Lord and what he has done for us. We know that Jesus has resurrected and ascended. But how do we keep the cross in front of us? We put the cross before us. We're at the same time reminded that Jesus takes away the sin of the world and that we are called to live as Christ in the world, to deny ourselves, to embrace the small deaths and acknowledge Jesus, his way over our way. When we stop following Jesus, when we pull him aside... We want, we, I think we run the risk of like taking our ideologies, our plans, our strength, whatever it is, and believing that our plan of rescue is better than his, better than God's. Let's say one, one other aspect of sacrifice being positional. Um, not only does it cause to follow Jesus, but it also forms us. It shapes us. When we follow Jesus, when we live this life of sacrifice, we are being formed. In other words, as we follow Jesus, we're being prevented from becoming a stumbling block, a scandal on. In, in July, there was an article in The Atlantic. The title of the article was, The Misunderstood Reason Millions of Americans Stop Going to Church. And the author admits that there have been a lot of, like, you know, clergy scandal and all the abuse, you know, some of the popular things that we'll sometimes hear. He admits that that's part of it. Those are contributing factors. But he also says the real reason, the real reason is this. This is how he puts it. Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality care, or common life. Rather, it's designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life or as one ages, the professional prospects of one's children. The author says, workism workism reigns in America. And because of it, community in America, religious community included, is a math problem that does not add up. 
The real reason, he says, we don't go to church, it just does not fit into our lifestyle right now. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't work in American life today. Challenge it. Explore it. You know, we find, we find ourselves in, in a place where the cultural scripts of workism and busyness as a status, they, they come to us, and I think they actually are ideologies that make a lot of sense. They, they do make sense in some way. I've got so much to do. I don't have time to X, Y, Z. And then when we think about church, you know, church just has so many challenges, we come to church that we don't get along with everyone. It's hard work. It takes time. It doesn't often go the way we want it to go. Like we can have our complaints about this, right? We can justify not coming to church. But if we stop following Jesus, if the cross is not in front of us and we stop following Jesus, I think it's almost certain our love for the church will wane. It'll fall away. And our cultural scripts will be all too convincing for us. One day, I think we just look down and our feet just aren't standing on the solid rock of Jesus anymore. We just kind of slip off of that. We've tripped. Maybe even we've become a stumbling block. I would just say, like, if... if You've experienced some of that in your own personal life or maybe from others. I I would absolutely love to talk with you if you're going through any of this yourself personally. But we can become a stumbling block to the progress of God's redemption in the world. And it's not just about going to church or not. It's way bigger than that. I'm just using that as an example. Just like Peter We may need a hard word from Jesus. We may need Jesus' hard word to remind us of the rock from which we were hewn, as Father Jake spoke about last week. I once had a friend who who told me, like, he loves loves to go to churches where the the preacher yells. (laughs) It's like, like, I just go to churches where the preacher's going to yell at me. Um, And I don't know if a screaming preacher is... Is, is great or not. I know Terrell says he used to dance when he preached, so maybe, maybe we could have a dancing preacher. I don't know about a screaming preacher, um, but I am very thankful for the hard words of Jesus. I'm very thankful for the hard words that Jesus brings into our view. They disrupt the unhealthy patterns of our lives. They reorient us back into the truth and they so often take us beyond the resistance that we can feel and help us Um, be reminded of our vocation of sacrifice, that that is the calling of every single believer who follows Jesus. Amen. Friends, hear these words of Jesus again as he invites us on this pathway, this vocation, this common calling of sacrifice. If any of us desire to follow him, if any desire to follow Jesus, let us deny ourselves And take up our cross and follow. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Speak truth to my heart. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week.
so